and welcome to the Warhammer 40k book club. This is episode number 20 in which we're discussing The Lords of Silence by Chris Raitt. I'm Jen Bozier. And I'm Carrie Honey. And this is Warhammer 40k book club where we read from a crag. Every episode we discuss a book that we've selected from the Black Library's Warhammer 40,000 catalog. We post the book on our website wh40kbookclub.com along with questions to ponder during reading. Listeners are able to read the book and then tune in and hear our discussion. We encourage participation through Twitter, the site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read the book, go to the site, check out the book and the questions, and then come back to this post as we'll be discussing the book in great detail from start to finish. As mentioned, this episode, we're reading The Lords of Silence by Chris Wright. It's about a band of Death Guard, and it bounces through time. It kind of takes place a little bit before the fall of Cadia, after the fall of Cadia, and on their journey to Ultramars. So it fills in the blanks a little bit for us. Let's start. Did you like the book? Oh, before we start, we need to thank um, Random Imperial Citizen for pointing yes. out this book and then constantly hounding. And I and I admit I'm the one who drug my feet on this because I was like, I can't take reading any more Death Guard. And I have to say, it's going to be hard to top this book this year. It really so, yes, is. I did like it a lot. Yes, I did as well. And I was, so I like the Death Guard and I went into it a little skeptically. Um, I think I, I just thought it was going to be basically a, oh, this is the conversation that took place before they decided to go to Ultramar, which it kind of is. And that's it. Like, I figured it was just going to be like an OBT dubs and no. I should not have underestimated Chris Wright. Now, um, one thing I'd say about this, this is almost like Chris Wright was like, hey, you know, I know that you just wrote Dark Imperium, but can I write, like, how the Death Guard got there or actually just this one particular war band? And can I just go nuts? And they're like, sure. Because this was like Chris Wright. <laughs> go nuts! This is like Chris Wright unleashed <laughs> with yes. the Traitor Legion. Yes. I would say so. And there's a lot of fun things about it. So let's dive into what parts stood out to you. Um, like the whole book. Right. <laughs> the biggest thing that stuck out to me is actually the first two pages of chapter uh, four, the eyes edge or not chapter four, section four. It's page 147, the beginning of chapter nine. They describe everybody coming together for um, at uh, Abaddon's behest, right? As they're marching on Cadia. They describe all the ships coming in. And this is probably some of the most masterful writing I've seen in a very long time because he manages in two, three sentence clusters to sum up every single traitor legion. So when he goes through the descriptions of the Iron Warriors and the Emperor's Children, my favorite line in there being that their ships in space reek of sadism see and, I'd, I'd written down that one too because that happened like i had to put the book down i was laughing so hard well and actually my favorite ones are of course my favorite legions the iron warriors talking about how their each was as gray as perturbo's heart and my favorite were the dusk black kill ships of the night lords drenched in projected terror skulking like thieves on the margins it was after as soon as I got to that section, I was like, I want Chris Rate to write a book like this about all the legions. And then when I got to the end of the book, I had the same thoughts. 
It's like, he needs to write a little book about all of the legions. Well, like, you can check out, like, this one sentence about the death, the death guard. The Alpha Legion, the Ophidian Warcraft of the Alpha Legion, spreading out in variegated clusters, distrusted more than, e than most even among themselves, victims of a reputation they spun a long time ago and can now never escape. Yes. I loved I don't that know how else so to describe much. the Alpha Legion. <laughs> well, and I loved I loved the way they described the Thousand Sun ships and just everything about it reading it it's like oh my gosh it was it was so nice and it was just a nice pithy description like i think if somebody were new to the universe and they were unsure about each of the traitor legions i would probably point them to that two sentence to those two pages <laughs> be like this is really all you need to know about the traitor legions this is the too long did not read description of them um I read that section and I just highlighted, like, I just folded all the pages because, like, this is amazing. Um, and of course, then after they all come out, then <laughs> he's saying the war bands recognize other battleships they had fights with. It's like, hey, you! I loved that too. <laughs> like, all I could think about is it's like, um, it's like every family Thanksgiving, right? Where people get together and then all of a sudden someone's like, do you remember that one time like 10 years ago that you borrowed $20 and didn't give it back to me or like a political debate starts up like <laughs> it just reminded me of this dysfunctional family gathering which was delightful and it just that to me if I had a point to like one section in the book that was just again masterful it would be that and I agree. it's so it's so subtle there's really not there's really not a lot to it but I liked it a lot um there was a lot of there were just a lot of little lines too where they described one of the other scenes that really stuck out to me that struck me as odd was the stuff of the little lords or the nurglings um as i prefer to call them and how well they talk about because you know the nurglings are always happy and jovial mm -hmm. and they talk about them like nuzzling up against the death guard and the death guard like cradling them like little babies walking around and I took them as more like little pets. Yeah, like little lost puppies. Like the one that he brings to the to Philemon mm -hmm. to fix. He's like petting him and carrying him around. And just that was great. Actually, any of the descriptions of the little lords when they're around was. These are the one or two things. It was e either um, funny or horrifying. But also funny. The scene yes. where the one eats the woman and then he stops and he walks away and he starts picking his nose <laughs> and goes back to <laughs> That was... Well, and just... Just... Oh, they are so disgusting. So disgusting. And, like, I just, like, he just, he just, like, writes so nonchalantly, defecated himself in excitement, you know, just, like... And every... farting and belching and... everyday... <laughs> everyday experience. Also, can, can we talk about the fact that there's a demon that looks like a crow and talks in William Shatner voice? Can we talk? I got to that. I got to that character and I was like, oh my gosh, it's it's William Shatner. I just love the fact that Philemon keeps things in jars. <laughs> <laughs> he, that was hilarious was, to me too. He keeps demons in jars because they are ineffably perplexing. <laughs> I, 
was surprised at how cerebral the Death Guard is. A lot of them, at Vorks too, they talk about wanting to study things and keeping these records. <laughs> Less about conquest and more like, oh, this is very interesting. And they're like, and I guess it makes sense, right? Because of Nurgle himself, it makes sense that you would want to constantly be in a state of study because of the plagues. But yeah, the idea of him having this collection of jars and they just talk about Shatnerbird. Who knows what else is in there? In little nerdlings that defecate on his desk, which how could you tell? Well, you know, when there's a brown spot on the map that wasn't there before. <laughs> Again, how could you tell? <laughs> and then the scene that you texted me about that I also texted about, I think we do need to talk about a standing out. When they literally... Oh my god. I... Page 233. I wrote in my notes right here. Solus, the ship, literally shits on Mechanicus' ship at Cadia. I mean, I... There's... N- <laughs> I, like so you told me you were like tell me what you think when you get to page 233 and i was like okay and i'm reading what's going on right and i'm like what the heck would have stood out to her and then all of a sudden the ship's bowels opened and they literally did <laughs> all all i could picture was christmas vacation <laughs> <laughs> shitters full <laughs> i mean yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah. So disgusting. That it was like the first. I think that was the first and only time reading this book that I was like, "That's just gross." See, and I, I just cracked up at that point. Like, you know. Oh, I did too. Is, I, I got nothing because, <laughs> but like, I wrote in the margin of my book, "Ew." <laughs> I mean, just like, what else can you come back with that? I mean, not only that, but it, it worked. It took so, down the entire ship. My husband always jokes that poop is the ultimate weapon because there's no retort to poop. <laughs> that's what mon- that's why monkeys do it. I mean, geez. exactly, and that's why I read the scene to him, and he was just like, yeah, "You can't even argue with that. <laughs> you can't." <laughs> and to be fair, I don't think they saw it coming, and it's especially was, not the mechanicum. I was about to say there's like this delicious irony to them. You unleashing the outhouses on the mechanicum i oh my god i laughed really hard but it was i did actually have to kind of set the book down and just be like that's so disgusting <laughs> because even knowing it's in, like i could smell it reading it it's just like oh oh you know there are some descriptions in here i feel like i had to scrape them off my teeth oh just, yeah yeah yeah, some of the, when they describe them walking and sloshing in their armor. <laughs> At the same, you know, it is so disgusting, but I didn't get grossed out the way I did in right. um, Plague War, or was it Dark Imperium? Whichever uh, one had the whale bombs. Plague War, um, I think. Because in so many ways, it's so gross, but I found it just hysterical. Because on the one hand, it's kind of scary seeing these revenant 
space marines coming at you that have their livers dangling out they got you know intestines everywhere everything's rotting you know they got rusty weapons and then you hear them sloshing and that just gets to be funny right and yet they're so terrifying because you don't want that to touch you well in a lot of ways i think they're kind of like the orcs right right the orcs are terrifying but they're funny oh my god are they funny to read about and that reminded me a lot of that too the other thing is like whenever they talked about like how you could smell them coming mm-hmm. so like when they're dealing with the humans and the humans are just like <sighs> the other thing that i had written down here that how they all started throwing up and they had no idea why before they even walked in the door <sighs> that's so gnarly like so on page 104 though i want to point out that i had high school flashbacks um on page 104 and they talk about there's a quaint tradition in the various propaganda departmentos of the administratum for marketing agro worlds of as quasi paradises that whole chapter is basically like the first half of grapes of wrath so i got like major high school flashbacks and all of a sudden i was you know wondering if i was gonna have to write an essay about a turtle at the end the turtle's a metaphor the one in the beginning that's over on its back. I, I don't remember book. the turtle. So the Grapes of Wrath is my scarlet letter. Just so we're clear. Gotcha. <laughs> so anyways, um, that was kind of funny too, though. I was like, oh, good to see that that's still alive and well. Uh, that really stuck out to me as well. There were just a lot of little lines in this book that I would be like, I my book's kind of bleeding pink from my highlighter. Because there would just be like little lines here and there that I was like, oh, that's nice. I like the way that's worded. I just, I mean, I'd started just writing down. It was almost like I was taking, since talking about high school, it felt like I was like taking my notes from Moby Dick again. We're almost like writing down word for word, you know, ev- everything in the book. Like mm-hmm. one of my favorite quotes uh, early on, Cleto, his thoughts on fighting. Uh, fighting is a little, little more than belching, a necessary part of life, but hardly the most distinguished. Yep. Yeah, I love that because I mean that's fitting in so many reasons, so many ways. But sometimes it's like, wow, of course, only the Death Guard would choose belching. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Um, so the Death Guard, they're a legion apart in the Traitor Legions, and I think they even mention that in um, that section when all the ships are coming together. I'm trying to think. I know I marked it down, but they talk about when the Death Guard, how the Death Guard, they're the last to get there. Mm-hmm. And they kind of keep back to themselves. And it's partially because, no, oh, there you go. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. These are some of the oldest ships in the mustard. The mustard. Uh. There's a thing in here where they talk about how the Death Guard do not mingle with those of other legions and war bands. Their presence is not welcome on the grand bridges of the fleet, for even the denizens of the eye find their bodily corruption hard to stomach. I like the idea that like these people are all corrupted and even the word bearers who are corrupted and worship all of the gods, even they're like, bro, calm down. You guys stink. And then yet everybody hates the emperor's children. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously nobody's lower on the totem than that. <laughs> but I liked, 
So what, do you understand the Death Guard a little bit better having read this? Yes. Um, you know, one thing I took a lot of notes in, um, like I wrote down here, page 40, and Vorx is his reason for siding with Mortarian for overthrowing the Imperium. I mean, it's not what anybody else's is. Um, as he says, you know, that basically he just wants to stop the stasis of the Imperium. He's like, you guys have been doing the same thing for 10,000 years and it's not getting yep. any better. It's time to embrace change. Now, while I agree, I don't think that joining with the Plague God is the best avenue for change any more than accepting Zinch into your heart. But I just I thought, find. I thought it was just very, very interesting because that's so different from the word bearers. They're original plan and their continued plan as mm -hmm. well as um horace's because his well even I'm, right although he deviated from his original plan his original plan was to mm -hmm. stop his father from taking all the glory and like uh, but then you know things happened along the way called chaos gods and Erebus right. and things um but I really, I really like that because it, to me, it almost made them more likable and that right. they're just not these, except for Typhus, but they're just not these tyrants coming down to just right. overthrow the empire because funsies. Well, I like when he talks about how he harbors no ill will for the loyalist legions because mm -hmm. they're just misguided. They just don't realize the truth yet. And there's a line where he talks about um, he says this a lot, the god. For Vorx, there is no pantheon. The allegiance of other powers is for him mistaken and wicked. There's only one genuine deified mode of entity in the universe. So I like the idea that he's like, look, you guys just don't understand. It's here, you know, we have this, we've found the god and you guys can come over and join with us. We're all cool with it. Yeah, <laughs> We're all cool. It's all good. Don't worry about it. You get used to the sloshing. So along those lines, one of the things I like is actually on page 41, where he's talking about how the people who, the original Death Guard, the people who were on Barbarous, why they mm -hmm. will forever be loyal to Mortarian, because Mortarian is the one who freed them. Mm -hmm. Because Barbarous was a death world, and it was a shithole, almost literally. And Martarian is the one that lifted them up out of this and Martarian brought them out. So I love this idea that the ones who says the originators of the Legion are still grateful. They will never forget. I liked that idea a lot because the Death Guard's also very different in that I get the impression that they all still very much, they're still very much a family and a war band. They didn't, they didn't fracture into a bunch of little pieces with their own little fiefdoms and mm -hmm. nope. They're all still here. They're all still working with Mortarian and... Well, yeah, because they have that, what is it called? The Bountiful Garden. Which, every time they described the plague planet, and they were talking about the garden and all the living stuff and blah, 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 I kept picturing, like, a beautiful rainforest. And then I had to remember what their definition of beauty was. And then I, I was just like, kept oh. it as a rainforest. <laughs> it's like Fern Gully. And then I started imagining like this one model I seen someone painted of Mortarian that had these beautiful 
wings. Like, I mean, they was just... Was it the moth wings? Yeah, the one with the eyes in them. And you, and you don't have a thing yeah. with eyes, but this thing was just beautiful. It was so pretty. And it was one that's just like, you know, I never would have thought I would ever imagine Mortarium being beautiful, but this model was. And that's kind of what I imagined him looking like in this right. beautiful garden. Right, exactly. not, but... <laughs> I know it's... I know it's more like when you find the cheese at the back of your refrigerator that you forgot about. Um, but or I'm the grapes pretend, at the bottom of the bag. Yeah, I'm going to just go ahead and pretend mm-hmm. that it was a beautiful guy. It was Fern Gully. Um, one of the other things that really surprised me, or it didn't surprise me as much as I, it did initially, but then I was like, oh, I guess it makes sense, is when they talk about how the Death Guard no longer tend machinery. They've forgotten how, but they understand cells and respiration and circulation. So the fact, like, remember they were talking about the whale, the ship, the idea that all of their stuff is living. It's a living entity. And that they do understand. They understand, well, their version of life, I guess. Right. But that there's this weird respect for it. Which is how the ship was able to literally shit on the Mechanicum. Anyways. um, Yes. And just this odd respect that they have for life that has embraced Nurgle. Mm-hmm. And the studiousness of them. Because like when Vorks goes back to his house and he's allowed to just go in there and write down and document everything that's happened and all... It was odd to me. I, I guess I didn't expect that. This traitor legion that's like... Especially with him where he's like, I just really want to be left alone with my books. Mm-hmm. Like that's really what I want to do. And um, that surprised me a lot about the Death Guard in general. I didn't expect that. No, um, no, because I think all the, everything that we've read, though, has been, you know, from uh, the Dark Imperium trilogy. And most of that, honestly, is when Mortarian's like, okay, my brother is here and I'm going to basically do all these things to get him to come over here and face me. <clears throat> Sorry, I've had Nurgle visit me this week. (laughs) It's what we get for liking the book. Right, pretty much, yes. Um, And mostly Typhus, you know, and him leading. And Typhus is very much, I would say, a warmonger out out of all of them. And then to get this side where it's just, where it's like, it's not even just Vorks. It's, you know, when he's talking to many of the captains that are hanging out the Bountiful Garden, like they're all just like, this is just cool. We just want to be. We want to be and we want to have everybody else be. Right. Yeah. That, uh, which is surprised me. I, I don't know what I was expecting. I guess I expected these just kind of. You know what I think? And I think this, again, is because we saw them in Dark Imperium. I expected them to either be a little more mindless or a little more malicious. But no. I didn't get that. Well, the more I start thinking about this, especially when comparing, because the first time in the Horus Heresy you really get behind the Death Guard is Flight of the Eisenstein. Yes. And that's when they have the whole scene with Garrow drinking from Mortarian's cup. And every conversation he has with Mortarian, Mortarian is a very calm person. He's very (laughs) calm, very measured, doesn't say anything without purpose. And um, just seems like he is a guy that 
kind of guy that kind of melts into the background and kind of observes everything. So in the mm-hmm. way it kind of made sense, of course, and then, you know, I read in A Thousand Suns when he's up on the podiums like, and then goes into chaos. But, you know, that's besides the point. <laughs> we can all thank Typhus for that. That was an interesting line, by the way. And I can't find it right now, but when Borks is talking about how everybody loves Mortarian, everybody's loyal to Mortarian, the old guard, mm. but they don't like Typhus because they remember what he did. So I find it interesting that they're all kind of like, shit, yeah, Nurgle, we love our father, but that one guy got us in this predicament and we're still not okay with that. Right. You know, things were just fine. Right. Like, we were doing pretty good until Typhus decided to become Erebus, Erebus uh, part two. I mean, he did. Well, I know. I'm not disagreeing. Just. I can't remember what the book is where they reveal how he gets them over to Nurgle. I think it's the Buried Dagger. That's a more recent one. I think so, maybe. Anyways, I'll get there in five years. You'll get there. Um, So, Vorks, as a main character, he was surprising from start to finish. Yeah, this is the very definition of someone that you, you know, we always talk about, you know, Lehman Russ, you Mm -hmm. know, and how um, people always pigeonholed Lehman Russ. And Reboot was like, never, never underestimate Lehman or never think that he's dumb or, you know. Anything right. like that. Um, Vorx is is that. Like, you can't underestimate this guy. And, no. And I did. Um, oh, I did, too. Uh, I actually kind of thought that he... Because he kept saying, like, oh, I've got everything under control. And I was like, but do you? Do, do you? you? Like, do you? Like, I had a feeling like it was going to be... Like, Philemon, he was just like, are you sure? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I... I was fully expecting this book to end with Vorks being like, how, how did I not have everything in hand? Like, I, I really did not expect, I did not yeah. expect him to come out on top. No. And when it all came together in the end, I was just like, oh man, bravo, good sir. Bravo. Oh like, yes. You were the master chess player. In the oh end. yes. And I just loved it at, you know, at the, at the end, like when, you know, he's, Going up to Cleto, he's just like, they all think he's so stupid. They all think he's so old and so stupid and so out of it. It's like, let them think that. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, you, okay. Oh, yeah. No, I I liked him as a character. I liked how, again, I loved that studious side of him and how patient he was. Mm-hmm. I did... I guess he really, to me, embodied the idea of the Death Guard, that he's just this, I got it under control. He's very calm. As you said, kind of describing Mortarian, he's very deliberate. Mm -hmm. Vorks didn't really do anything carelessly or without having considered it. Um, I liked that a lot. I liked liked a lot of the conversations he had when he just kind of told people, like, I've got it under control. Right. And I liked his relationship with Dragon. I liked that I he, I liked that he looked at it and he was kind of disappointed when Dragon was getting a little chippy and he's like, these kids these days. 
I mean, they were actually the two of them were having very much a millennial and okay boomer oh god yes through the whole thing because like they really were and you know dragon his perspective on the whole thing i thought was very interesting and that and so it didn't surprise me that it's like oh of course he's spoken to typhus and is kind of like listening to typhus because he doesn't care about the primarchs and he's just like they're they failed like they are a failed thing i don't know why we're listening to them we just need to do our own thing I don't understand why everyone's just like, oh, Mortarian. And it's because, again, because he was not tens of thousands of years old. And one thing he says, he's like, so I've only been here for 2,000 years. That doesn't make me any less important. I'm like, oh, my God. It's like someone took the Millennial and Boomer book right here. Just, you know. Yeah. I'm just as important. I can do all these things that I can take over. Right. And, but Verborks, I liked that he took him under his wing. Mm-hmm. I liked... But my big question is, where does he go from here? He gets to the end of the book. You've conquered all of your enemies. Ultramar Ahoy? I mean, I'm very curious, like, what he... What he thinks of, you know, got to think about, you know, what Typhus told him. Mm-hmm. And if he's going to think, like, okay, so do we do we go to Ultramar? Or do I try to turn this thing around and listen to Typhus? Or does he be like, oh my god, this guy is so much smarter than I thought he was. Perhaps I should wait a few thousand more years. <laughs> right. Um, good question. Because uh, he really, I got the impression that he really just kind of wanted to go back home and just work on his books and stuff. Um, does he? But... I, Again, with his loyalty to Martarian, I feel as though he's probably going to go to... He'll do whatever Mortarian asks him to do. Exactly. So I have a feeling that that's probably his future. Um, I want to see more of him, though. I... Again, he is this disgusting character. He's a Nurgle worshipper. Again, they talk about him sloshing around in his armor. Um, Definitely a murderer. Mm. Uh, and I loved him. Again, we talked. We talked a lot about these anti, the rise of this anti-hero character. And you again, I point to Henry, portrait of a serial killer. Like by the end of the book, you're rooting for him when he kills the chapter master. I was like, yeah, good. Wait, I mean, good job though. Still, <laughs> I was like, wow. But I was kind of doing that too. I was like, oh well, at least it, it's just a subchapter. Who cares? <laughs> like he's killing Raboot or Marnius. We're good. Exactly. They're not killing like the originals. We're okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're good loyalists, everyone. Well, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Chris Frank just cleaned up another (laughs) subchapter. Right. So, one thing that's interesting as we transition over into Dragon, um, Chris Frank definitely has archetype types of characters that he likes. So, if you looked at Watchers of the Throne, you had this very calm, very composed character in um, Valerian. And then you had the angry and brash, like just want to get shit done character in Alea. And then when you look at uh, the Carrion Throne, right, you had the very calm, very in control mm-hmm. Crowl. And the more brash, like we just need to go and clean up this shit and I don't have time for this, Spinoza. 
You have the very calm <laughs> and in control Vorks, and then the brash Dragon. So how do dragons, and I'm not knocking that. Right. I love it. It's like, as soon as I started reading it, I was like, oh, I recognize these characters and I love them already. Um, well, he does them in such a way that it feels fresh. It's not just like, it does. it's like, oh, here's the, here's the rate formulae again. No. It just... Right. It's not Stephen King. Like, oh, look, there's the funny kid. And oh, here's this person. And yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Stephen King only has five characters. Um, so, but how did Dragon's experiences and descriptions of the Death Guard, did they surprise you? Did you like them? It was, it was, like I said earlier, like it was just, it was, um, unique. Uh, mm -hmm. I didn't know what to expect, I guess, because I have a hard time believing that anybody would join these traitor legions. Dude, um, seriously, the recruiting for Nurgle must be outstanding. <laughs> Man, the military. My liver is on the outside of my body. The military needs to get a hold of these people, man. <laughs> right? Um, right? So I just had always believed that that the traitor legions, just because I know how big the legions were way, way back in the day. Because, yes, we have these chapters now that are just 1,000 members. But you had, like, thousands of chapters in a legion with hundreds of members. So these things were just massive. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's like they got people just to keep on going through. It's no big deal. And plus, if they've given themselves over to the gods, they're going to live technically forever anyway. Right. It's no big deal. I was surprised that there was new recruits. And like you said, I can't imagine... Um, being like, hey, this sounds, sounds like a good idea to me. I think I want to follow so, Nurgle. Oddly, I knew that all of the Trader Legions bring in new recruits, and that they all make sense to me, except for the Death Guard. I kind of assumed that the Death Guard, like, how do you sell that shit? Literally. You get to live forever? Nothing hurts? I mean, because they talk about how there's no pain. Uh, there's that. I guess there's that, but I mean, most of the most of the Trader Legions have lived like a really long time. Um, I, and he's so angry and he's so bitter. And there was a line in here where he says he wonders if he chose the right Trader Legion. Like he wanted to be a traitor, but maybe this wasn't the right Legion. Um, <laughs> I was like, well, that's an unfortunate mistake. Right. Cause he even talks <laughs> about how he's happy. He can still take off his helm mm -hmm. and that, you know, he's like, he can feel it inside him, but he's, the change going on inside of him, but he's trying to hold it off as long as possible because he's so afraid what it'll do to his brain. Um, yes. Because he's just convinced that it has rot rotted everybody's minds, even though I think that's proven that's not true. Maybe they yeah. are moving slowly, but that doesn't mean that they're that they're not all there. Obviously, with yes. forks. Um, and so maybe he's also, because of the whole thing with the helm thing, it's like, you might have been a little too vain for this. That's always kind of my joke so i was looking for the chapters i liked is on page 114 where he says that uh joining the death guard is like sinking into a deep cold ocean and he talks about how it slowly takes over all of your stuff and then he said that uh for him it's not about faith it's a vengeance it's vengeance for a life he cannot remember and dominance over a species he has cut ties with it's about pride amid a legion that under that barely understands the notion 
So yeah, like maybe maybe you should have talked to the world eaters or you know the Black Legion and just yeah chose your own adventure um, with the gods, <laughs> right? Uh, it's interesting to me. I would actually love to know the history of how he got into the Death Guard, but because they mentioned that Vorks knows. Forks does know. Forks knows who he is or who he was. Mm -hmm. It's probably in his giant book. I but I loved his transformation over the book where he starts as just this angry, Ugh, these people are slow, these people don't do anything. And his descriptions of the Primarchs and Terra, when they talk about being on Terra, and he's like, Yeah, that's a failure. Stop talking about it. Again, again to your point with the millennial and the mm -hmm. boomer thing. Right. Yeah. That really did feel like the back when I was a kid sort of conversation. Right. Right. Uh, we were I there loved... on Terra. Exactly. And he's like, mm, and how did that go? <laughs> and uh, when he talks about the Primarchs and he's like, these guys suck. These guys failed. Stop talking about them. I was like, oh, my favorite quote about them. Page 28. Imperials only venerate their Primarchs because they are all dead. Yes. Yes, if any lived, they would soon remember what fools they were and despise them too. Of course, obviously this is before Reboot came back. Or before they knew right. he came back. Well, right. And I did like when they talked about the, uh, the traitor Primarchs and he says the Primarchs were still slumped on their self-made dream worlds, rolling around in acrimony and self-loathing, unable to leave them. So even the traitor Primarchs, they're like, guys, the, the, you only like your good ones because they're dead and they're gone. Right? But I love Which I think starts... is weird that he'd be assuming that the good, that the loyalist Primarchs would be like in the fetal position going back and forth and crying over stuff. I mean, to be fair. Well, I guess like, the lion is, but. Well, actually all of them, because like after 200 years after the heresy, they basically are all like. I I'm about to head out. And they're gone. The ghost. Like, we'll be back when shit hits the fan. Well, except for Reboot. I mean, he was like, I'm <laughs> going after Fulgrim. <laughs> Reboot, yeah, okay. Reboot's special. We've already decided that. And Dorn, uh, well, Dorn, like, just disappeared in the middle yeah, so of the siege. The Rust. No, no, he, um... Dorn after the sea after the siege of Terra, he teleported up onto a Black Legion ship and then was never seen again. Hmm. But um hmm. I like that, but I like how angry he is and he's so irritated and he's and when Typhus is talking to him, he's like, shit yeah, what Typhus has to say. And then at the end, when it's revealed that no no, Forks had this all in hand from the get-go. I love when they describe them both stepping up and just fighting alongside each mm -hmm. other. I, I got to that scene and was like, oh, God. Because in many ways, I mean, Vorks saw the benefit with Dragon. And he even talked about how he really wanted him to be like a protege. Like he yes. didn't like this problem that, that, that they had. So he just... Mm -hmm. And then when Dragon sees it all, and he under, then he say like clicks like, okay, he's not dumb. He does know what he's doing. Right. I gotta trust this guy. Right. And it just kind of like sinks together. So you know, I don't know if they'll ever, maybe not, you know, immediately, be best friends. But 
eventually, now that they can understand one another. Mm -hmm. Well, it gives part me of hope me for the millennials and boomers. No, not really. Part of it reminded me a little bit of, bear with me, that scene in Empire when uh, Yoda's just being silly. I was and... trying to think which Empire. <laughs> Boardwalk Empire. The Unremembered Empire. Okay, that's fair. Where's she that going? Was, I was about to be like, duh. Fair. Anyways, in Empire Strikes Back, um, when Yoda's like, you know, oh, I can't train him. And all of a sudden, Luke gets this realization of, oh, this guy is serious. And this guy is a big deal. Like, I felt like that was that moment with, Dra with Dragon. Yeah. Mork shows up good, and he's like, oh. That's, that's a good oh. metaphor, yeah. And I really liked that. Because then I was like, these guys are going to be friends. And he's going to train them. And it's going to be so good. And Dragon's going to be a good, happy little death guard now. And again. And then maybe he'll, like, flip the bird to Typhus. Like they all and, should. And he'll get a pet little lord. Uh <laughs> But again, I had a moment where I was like, why am I cheering for these people? I know it. I don't know why I wanted them to get away with it. You know, it's it's like we were, like we were saying, you know, we, we some of the shows that we watch that venerate the anti-hero, like, you know, Breaking Bad, um, Sons of Anarchy. Um, man, even in Justified in the end, you're still rooting for one of the bad Boyd. guys. Not, not even Boyd, but her. Like, the, oh, the, she's yes. able to get away. Um, you know, all of those things, like you are rooting for them to somehow not be caught. Yep. And even though they've done horrible things, uh, it's the same thing. Oh, for sure. For absolutely. And I think it was because the description and it, it part of what bolstered it is how well that final scene plays out mm -hmm. when they're talking about, cause you could picture it with a word bearer. When Vorks bamps in and the word bearer is like, you're too late. And he swings down his Krogis to summon the thing and nothing happens. So he just keeps trying and Vorks is just sitting there like, it ain't going to work. And so they all just keep stabbing them over and over and over. <laughs> like, wait, there's no blood. <laughs> Amazing. And just the way when he comes down, he's swinging that scythe, punctuating yeah. each of his words. I was just like. This is outstanding because you could picture it and mm -hmm. look, I don't care who you are. I'm cheering for you at that point. <laughs> like, again, it's so cinematic and yeah, it's your sighting. He's killing word bearers. I'm always cool with that. Okay. So first off, yeah, like it's kind of like who, whichever team plays the New England Patriots, that's the team that everyone's rooting for, right? Or whoever's playing the Raiders. Um, Whoever's fighting the word bearers, I'm now fans of them. This and, is true. Unless it's, uh, unless it would be like the word bearers versus emperor's children, in which case, hope for a giant warp storm. <laughs> kind of like, what was that Super Bowl where it was like the Patriots versus somebody and everybody was basically like, how about just a giant earthquake? I can't remember who it was. It was several years ago, but people were making Dark Knight Rises jokes. I was like, about to say, was that a Dark Knight Rises joke? Yeah. Dark Knight was Rises like, Super Bowl, but... Yeah, it was. Everybody mm. was like, oh, please. And I can't remember who it was. What it was NFC little... team could that have been? I don't, I don't remember. Know. Anyways, not important. But, 
Yeah. That's going to eat at me now, but... <laughs> Whoever kills the word bearers... I got your back, son. Because, <laughs> ugh. And they just... And I did love how everyone's like, he's going to betray us. And Forks is like... Yep. He's just like, and? <laughs> and the whole time Philemon's like, you know this is a trap. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Dragon's always like, oh, we can't God. trust these new allies. Yeah, I know. I got you. <laughs> it's all cool, bro. Picked up on the message. <laughs> oh, my God. So, in Dark Imperium, I think we spent a lot of time going, why is Mortarian here? And the, it really delighted me when everybody in this book was like, why are we going to Ultramar? Because <laughs> I was like, oh, good. We're all confused. And, uh. It's Vork's just because that's the brother that woke up. There is no <laughs> other reason. Maybe? Because, uh... Um, I don't think so, though. I mean... Where is... I'm trying to page, look at the exact Page quote. 93. 93. Because um, I highlighted the... Yeah, the groves that hiss his name in the wind. I look into pools and see his face staring at me. Stiff dreary gulliman i had i'd have preferred another one the lion perhaps whom i always quite admired but one will do even the dull one okay you could be right he's the one who woke up but i just love how he's like Ugh. like why gulliman this fucking guy <laughs> i the boring one have to wake up at least i respected the lion lehman would have been fun <laughs> Right. Well, who'd be more boring though to him, Raboot or Dorn? I was actually just about to say, like, I guess it could have been worse. It could have been Dorn. I mean, because we know Ferris isn't coming back. I guess, or is he? Or is he? He might actually have enjoy. His eyes. He might. They might actually enjoy going after Ferris because Ferris just get angry. <laughs> there was that one meme that describes the Primarchs, and like he's the one in acid washed jeans and has had a job since he's eighteen and. That's all I, whenever people say Ferris made us now, I just picture acid wash jeans and like, oh my god. <laughs> he's oh. angry, but he's been around the block. Yeah, I, I look, so because we're both big Ultramarines fans, when I read that, I was like, excuse you. <laughs> but then I also had to kind of be like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, if you, if you compare to um, fighting styles. Then yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, right? You know, he probably preferred even the con over, or because like you don't know what the con's gonna do, right? Well, yeah, uh, or even Corak or Corvus. Like I'm sure he would have loved to see Corax come back and been like, "Huh, okay, that's at least," you know. Also, they have some unfinished business, as do he and the con. Uh, anyways, hmm. basically anybody who was at the Siege of Terra. Um, yeah, I, so do you feel like you understand it more? Like, is this a good decision? It's not a good decision. Um, it's very petty. This is so petty. This is very much just like, oh, one of them woke up. Uh-uh, that is not happening. I was a little disappointed, honestly. Even like though it's just like, dude, um, there are other of your brothers that are gods, right now or demon gods i should say like you know angron and fulgram and um i guess lorgar he's one is he one or magnus 
Yeah, Lorgar is a demon prince, but he's been meditating. Mm, well, he probably wouldn't want to talk to him anyway. Um, Same with Perturbo. He's been pouting. Well, it's like they even... <laughs> page 42, and they're describing the Iron Warriors, and they're like, Perturbo's bitter castle builders. <laughs> that just made me giggle so hard. I laughed really hard at that. Even so then. It's yeah. like... I'll just, they're just so bitter. But in either way, there are other, like, you don't see Fulgrim or Angron's being like, oh, wait, he's awake. Let's go take care of this. But then again, they also weren't right. at Cadia. Probably because Angron's like, I got better shit to do. And Fulgrim's right. off doing sex, drugs, and rock and roll somewhere. He really doesn't care. No, Fulgrim's busy. He's right. Just like he was at the Siege of Terra. Busy. Bit busy. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, it reminds me of like the dogs and up. Ooh, squirrel. <laughs> right. We're, We're taking over the thing. Yes, there's a squirrel over here. It's so boring. And by oh, squirrel. Squirrel, I mean like rape and murder and drugs. Yeah, as one does. As one, as, as one does, obviously. <laughs> Makes totally, total sense to me. That's what I think of when I see squirrel. <laughs> I got a little irreverent. Anyways, um, so my husband lowered my chair and it's really bothering me right now. But um, so I, it's petty and it's just like, I don't know, brothers. Like he's, It actually know. did remind me. I was like, oh, that's very brotherly. Like none of these guys have ever really felt like brothers. They have like little sections, right? Like these two are really close. These two are really close. And but when he said that, he's like, oh. He's so dull and boring. It's so we're going to go over there. I'm like, that really does feel brotherly. Mm -hmm. Like siblings. Like, ugh, I don't like this sibling. We're anything in common. <laughs> At least I like the lion. Like, <laughs> well, seriously. No, just... But I have to say, like, so this is the one part about this book that I hated was when I actually agreed with Typhus. Uh, August Typhus is like, why are we doing this? And I was like, that's a valid question. Sir. It is a very valid question. And, and, he, and it makes sense. It actually explained a lot about plague war. Because Typhus is like, why are we here? So yeah, it, it does. And but you mm -hmm. know, but Typhus, I also had to remember that even when he was Typhon, did not have much respect for the Primarchs in general. Correct. So he is never He's always to, been a douche. Right. He's never going to understand this whole thing mm -hmm. um, but, but between them. Um, and almost in a way, you know, from Plague War, Mortarian had all these opportunities to kill Reboot. And yet he talked to him. And it was... So almost makes me think, yes, he might have been saying, oh, he's the dull one. But when he sees his brother after all this time, it's like, maybe I can talk to him. Well, if you remember, their big conversation is him, basically. The part that stuck out to me and again stuck out to me in this book was when he's like, did you go and talk to dad? Mm. Did you realize that dad never loved us? Because I found somebody who does love us. Right. So it Again, kind of like when Vorks was like, yeah, these guys are just misguided. They don't know any better yet. It still feels a little bit like, just come on, enjoy it. Like, we found the right side. We found the good side. Come on over. It's the god. Um, to enjoy Nurgle, he gives hugs. 
squishy hugs. <laughs> Stinky hugs. I, uh, I made this joke on Twitter one day, and I'll <laughs> make it again here, too, is that when they describe the, um, whenever they describe how bad they smell, I just think of my daughter's hockey bag. Because <laughs> it smells like death. <laughs> At all times. Um, but yeah, like, they give hockey hugs, and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's a terrible smell. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> Nurgle's there for you, I guess is what they're saying. Um, I, I guess I understand a little more. I can't sign off on it. Well, no, I mean, just because you understand how it's, why he's, you know, charging after Reboot doesn't mean it's a good plan. <laughs> Although, from an Imperial stance, we should be happy about it, right? Well, yeah, because it means, like, more awesome It's one fights. less Legion. Well, but it's it's one less Legion that's going to Terra. Yeah, and I Abaddon's like, we're marching on Terra! And the Death Guard's like, enjoy. <laughs> also, <laughs> also, in a way, Death Guard's probably, and, and another, another way, Mortarium, he'd just be like, look, been there, done that. I actually, I do like that. I did. That was kind of the impression that I got, too, is he's like, because he, he specifically says, too, something about how, like, we have left our mark on that world. We we have done damage there that can't be undone. We're done. We're not going back to fight the same fight again, which I have to respect a little bit. <laughs> right? We already lost once. What are we going to do? Kill him again? Kill Sanguinius again? Well, to be honest, the, um, the planet was a shithole before they showed up. <laughs> Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, what book am I reading? Oh, the con book uh, written by Chris Raitt as well. They talk about how, like right before, before the heresy, Malkador is talking with the emperor and they talk about how birds are chirping and they're like, there were birds in Terra back then. And I was like, no, there weren't. And then he talks about looking up in the night sky and the stars were twinkling and you could see the stars back then. No, you couldn't. <laughs> what, what, what terror are they talking to? Was this 1998? Because no. Anyways, M3. M3, as we colloquially are known. Um, I guess, maybe? That part kind of... Anyways, the narrative structure in this book is unique. It's told in present tense, but it bounces through time like crazy. Did that help the story, do you think? I can't believe I didn't notice it was present tense. As much as... Oh. It's all because it was funny because we had gone on a rant about how we both hate present tense. And I opened this book and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, I mean, and I it annoys the crap out of me. And I can't believe I didn't even notice. That just shows like how good the book was, I guess, that I didn't even wasn't really picking apart the grammar. Vorx is walking toward the hangers. A little lord, the one he brought to Philemon is to recover, waddles alongside him. <laughs> It's, it be, it be present tense, but mm. it's funny because it also bounces through time. And I actually think that's probably the smartest decision Chris Rate made because Absolutely. I think if you would have, if you would have told the story in linear order, no, because the whole thing was a almost more boring. It's a mystery, yes, in so many ways. It's, you know, starts off with um, them waking up, going, "What the fuck just happened." Like, yes, we we were looking at Cadia. We were going after Mortarian and the warp. And where are we? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. So there's, you know, it's just this big thing of like, what happened? How did we get here? If this happened, then someone sabotaged it, or were we hit? You know, just all these questions. So no, I'm not it was lie. I forgot about the the beginning chaos for a little bit when they're just like, what just happened? And they're trying to figure it out. And you're like, oh, this is a big mystery and what's going on. And then all of a sudden they jump around to a bunch of other things. And I was like, oh, this is so interesting. And then when they go back to talk about the sabotage, my first reaction was, oh, right. I forgot about that. But it's a good mystery and it unfolds a little better that way. I think and we'll talk about this in a sec. I think you might have pieced it together a little bit easier had it been told linearly. Oh, I had no clue who did it. I didn't either. None. So I knew, going into the book, I knew that Garstag was not it. I knew that that... I knew Chris Wright was too good of an author to make it that obvious. That he was a bit of a red herring. Especially because he was picking fights with everybody. Yeah, but remember, Vorks even says he's just like, yeah, he wants to be leader, but I think he knows that he couldn't be leader. And so I was like, huh, okay, that's interesting. And again, Chris Wright seems a little more subtle than that. Mm -hmm. So I knew that it wasn't him, but man, when Vorks is taking a sweet ass time to go help Cleto, just taking his time, I was like, dude, you need to hurry. And Cleto's like, hurry! Yeah, dude, you should hurry. And Forks is like, got all the time in the world. To be revealed that it was was Cleto who did it. He didn't mean to do it. (laughs) Not not like that, anyway. He had another plan in mind, and that just happened. (laughs) So can we talk about how awesome that scene was? So... The idea is that Cleto decides that since the ship is a living entity, he's going to essentially put a mind-controlling poison into the ship so that he can kind of wrestle control away from it. And this backfires horribly. The um, process, the metamorphosis from uh, Mechanicus to Biological was further along than he had anticipated, and the ship was not happy. The ship was really unhappy. I love when all of a sudden he gets the realization, okay, if this wasn't a human being, this poison would be going directly to the heart about now, but what the hell's a heart on a ship? Oh, the mm. warp drive. Well, that and the sensation when he actually melded minds and he was <gasps> seeing everything yes. from the outside and he's like, oh, no, 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 this is you know, too much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So... He nearly killed them all, Mm -hmm. just so we're clear, uh, on a really, and what was really funny about it is that if you compare him to Vorks, who Vorks the whole time is like, I got this, I got this, and then in the end, he did in fact have it, Um, Cleto on the other hand, oh, I got this, I got, oh, I don't have this, this is bad, this is really bad, and so I thought that was delightful. I thought that was so cool and mm-hmm. so neat. And just because I did not like that character to begin with. And I didn't I didn't guess him for the traitor. But in hindsight, I was like, oh, of course, it makes sense. I, I didn't think of him as a traitor. I kind of wrote him off as another Fabius Bile. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because he's doing his own experiments. Like, they don't ask what he's doing. They just, like, you know, as long as he's still their apothecarian and he helps them when they need it, they don't care. They just turn a blind eye to whatever he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had as well, but that's what I was saying. So, like, when you go back, all of a sudden, when you, when they're like, oh, he's a traitor, I sat there and I was like, oh, oh, yeah, it totally makes sense. Because remember they talk about when he, in the beginning when he's stitching up all the servitors? And somebody oh, goes huh. over to him and, is, and they're like, what are you doing? And he's like, whatever I want. <laughs> okay, bro. Well, like, sure. Okay. Like, just all these little things where he's like, I just do whatever I want. Thank you. Oh, yeah, you're over it. You are so over it. So it made sense in hindsight. And I, oh, I did not like his character at all. So I was actually really glad when he died. Like I said, he was like the Fabius Bile. He really was. He was kind of like a fabulous Bill. Mm-hmm. But, uh... Not nearly as smart, though. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't I don't think Bill would have been caught doing that. No, but Bill also wouldn't have wanted to be leader. No. No, he would have been like, fuck you, I'm going off over here. Um, I don't... I don't think I really understood why Cleto thought he would make such a good leader. I guess arrogance. But... <laughs> like, Forks is basically like, you would be terrible at this. I'm like, yeah, he's not wrong. <laughs> like, like he would have more respect if Dragon had sabotaged it, you know. Right, right. At least he would have been like, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, that makes sense. But, yeah. Yeah. They, I, I did not see it coming, and I thought it was really well done. And <laughs> my daughter saying goodnight. Um, since we have early morning lessons tomorrow, um, but my kids are already in bed. <laughs> Mine should have been. <laughs> um, so, but that was to me, and I did like. I do like in the very end where everyone's kind of like, or I think it's Slurt who's like, so uh, what happened to Cleto exactly? <laughs> Man, that chapter master was not a joke. But the warp drive failure, I thought, was well played. Yeah. Very well played. It, again, it was one of those mysteries that when it does, when it's revealed and everything comes out, I was, yeah, I was surprised. It's like, huh, okay. So, well played. I'm actually really excited. Chris Rate is doing the first of the Warhammer crime novels. Ooh. Yeah. So actually, I think we even said this when we read Carrion Throne that it would have been a really good candidate, I think, for the Warhammer crime. Like he clearly has a good mystery mindset mm -hmm. to him. So I'm really excited. And after reading this book, actually even more than Carrion Throne, I think this book, when I got to the end of it, I was like, oh, his crime series is going to be excellent. I, yeah, I, I really can't say enough good things about this book other than I wish I'd read it sooner I think we both went into it because and I like the Death Guard but I was a little skeptical about it too because again I thought it was just going to be a meanwhile back in the plague planet <laughs> sort of thing right or like previously on and which you know I'm not usually into that but yeah no this was excellent Chris Raitt is very quickly becoming one of my favorite authors and uh I hope he does another one in this series. I would actually really like, I think it would be very interesting to see as the Dark Imperium series unfolds, 
to have this silent series unfolding alongside it because mm. these guys got to get to Ultramar for one thing. And now I'm going to be really angry if they get killed on Ultramar. I'm going to have conflicting loyalties, not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> like, if all of a sudden Uriel of Interest and Vorks find themselves on a field, oh, I'm going to have to not read that book because there's no winner here. No, I'll, I'll have um, to be on a Uriel. Sorry. I know. Yeah, I would too, for sure. What if it's Pisanius? Um, Don't do that to me. <laughs> you have Uriel and Pisanius, Pisanius versus Vorks and Dragon. It would be awesome. <laughs> it really would. <laughs> Ultimately, in the end of the day, yeah, if they killed Pisanius, I would riot and burn the book. Mm, <laughs> it's fair. Just kidding. Um, but I would send, like, angry tweets in my mind. Um so <laughs> No, I wouldn't. In my mind only. They no, you out. would actually put them out there. No, I wouldn't. I'm very polite. <laughs> when I have to be. Mm -hmm. So this is, I think this is a great way to kickstart the year, though, um, for our first book that we read for the club. Our next one, though, is going to be a little bit of a divergence. We're going to be reading Rites of Passage by Mike Brooks. Um, I'm actually very excited for this one because the Navigator's are a strange group and they really have their own little world and i think this is actually going to be a series as well yes yeah, the so, first of a trilogy is what i've seen nice nice i'm we'll I'm see curious. yeah we'll see um oddly enough i think i find the navigators a little more repugnant than i find the death guard navigators creep me out the navigators are super creepy um what was the book what did we read with the one knights of mccrag oh the skittering yes yeah the skittering yes uh there's only been one really good navigator that i liked and that was octavia and that was because they basically beat all of the navigator stuff out of her very quickly um that's in the night lords trilogy i know you're surprised so we'll add this one to the pile and we will dive into rites of passage next so hope it I feel a little bad for it because it, that's a tough act to follow. It's a very tough act to follow. And I'm going to try to go into this with an open mind, but I was not <laughs> behind this at all. So, yeah, I, again, I, I want to know more about the navigators. They're a weird little class and I, I'm curious what goes on behind their closed doors because generally we only see them when they're interacting with people and they all tend to be assholes <laughs> or crazy and dangerous. So crazy, dangerous assholes, ahoy. Right. Well, I think this one, it, nobody's on a ship. So we don't have right. the warp, you know, making them even more lovely people. I think the work was on the present in their lives. I don't know what's that third eye is for. Aside from making people go crazy. That's a party trick. Someone you don't like, you just flip open the <laughs> bandana. <laughs> now, so can I just say really quickly that on the cover, we all we always have something to say about the cover. Which, by the way, cover art, flawless. Um, the fact that they're wearing crowns to cover their eye... The idea Only of having a crown ones. on your eye just sounds so uncomfortable. I'm very sensitive to eye stuff. 
Well, yes, I, I am too. Um, dude, they're weird, okay? They're weird. They're weird people. They're sanctioned mutants. Yes. So that'll be our next book. Be Them sure and the Wolf Guard. Sanctioned mutants. I'm not wrong. Madam. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you want to take us out? Because I am done talking to you. <laughs> oh, I had a feeling the Space Wolves was going to end our friendship one day. I just had no idea it would be, you know, the very first podcast of 2020. No, thank you all for a good note. <laughs> thank you all for listening to War the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Lords of Silence by Chris Rate. Be sure to join us for our next book, Rites of Passage by Mike Brooks. Uh, we are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books, so please stay a while and read from a crag. Good night, everybody. Good night.